Straight to you from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Welcome to Permit to Think. Meaningful stories and conversations from the fringe of societal norms. I am your host, Mike Dawes. As a professional fisherman and host, I've spent the last 25 years traveling the far and near reaches of the world. In the beginning, the goal was adventures and wild fish. But I have come to realize that the people I've met along the way and their stories have played a pivotal role in seeking what I'm truly after, a quiet mind and time to think. This ride is too short, so I'm going to start exploring the narratives of the people that have brought me here. I have been told that audio has no rules, so it seems like a good platform for someone who grew up breaking them all. Let's go. I have been on the road for a month. It's nice to be back in the studio. We have a new addition on the show. My nephew, Cameron Bernholds. Cam? Glad to be here. Love it. Um, This is his test run, so any feedback on how he does, and uh, we can decide his future. (laughs) Um, More to come on Cameron in the, uh, the upcoming episodes. Our guest today is Josh Grafham. Josh grew up in Manchester, New Hampshire, thus the affinity for the Patriots. We can uh, we can discuss the 2017 Super Bowl over your, your right-hand shoulder. There. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and started fly fishing when he was eight years old. He has been off to the races since then. Josh is currently the national sales manager for Umqua Feather Merchants in Louisville, Colorado, and has worked with the company for over eight years. Prior to that, Josh spent four years as the activity manager at Brush Creek Ranch. I first met Josh here in Jackson Hole when he was guiding for Jack Dennis Sports, which he did so for seven plus years. Josh started competing for Team USA fly fishing in 2009 and was the national champion in 2014. Josh competed in seven world championships, and his best finish was sixth in Tasmania, and as a team member, Josh medaled in both Bosnia and Vail, Colorado. To say Josh is a a wealth of knowledge in the world of fly fishing would be an understatement. His ascent in the industry has come very quickly. Josh graduated from the University of New Hampshire in 2003, and was a competitive ski racer during that time. Josh is a perfect example of one of the many reasons why I started this show. I know Josh, but I have always wanted to know more, and now is the time. Josh currently resides in Arvada, Colorado with his wife, Ruth, and his daughter, Genevieve. Without further ado, please welcome Josh to the show. What's going on, Josh? Great to see you, man. Yeah, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, I'm glad it could work out. Yeah, it's um, it's funny on this show. I've uh, I've talked a bit about coincidences, mm-hmm. and so as just being on the road, and I was like, "Where? Oh yeah, I'm going to Belize." And then I was like, I thought of our dinner. Yeah, and I was like, "Man, I should get a hold of Josh." Mm-hmm. And then a couple, you know, wrote it down to check to do list. Mm-hmm. And then literally, you know, the next day, ding, like, hey, 
could I, uh, could I bring you those hooks? Yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think the last time I saw you was, I don't know, uh, almost a year ago now, I guess. Yeah. Know, 10, 11 months ago. And we were in, uh, I had heard you were going to be in Belize as well at the same time. You know, yeah. I was talking to a couple of friends and they're like, I think Dawes is going to be down there. Like, really? What week? Yeah. <laughs> it turned out they were the same weeks. Yeah. And that was um, with your buddy Tom. That's right. And uh, Clark. You were with my, Clark. Yeah. Baca Gorda. Mm-hmm. Which uh, <laughs> he won't uh, like to hear that. But he, How's he doing? Uh, he's doing well. He was actually just in the northern part of Belize. Oh, okay. Did he do the uh, mothership deal? or what? Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Nice. Um, and it's, uh, I don't know, I guess it's, it's interesting in that sense, right? These coincidences because there we are, haven't, you know, haven't talked since, I mean, we texted. Yes. Yeah. But, um, and then, uh, I write it down on a piece of paper and then my phone dings and then here we are. But, so I really, I really think, you know, I mean, you, you turned it around quick. I guess that's kind of the organic beauty of this show. Yeah. Right. Like absolutely. Sit back and see, see what can come. Mm-hmm. And so I really do appreciate the time. I remember, you know, last year you were telling me about it that, Oh, I'm going to, I was asking you kind of what are you going to be up to? You know what I mean? And you, you talked about it, like, maybe I'm going to start this podcast, you know? And, um, yeah. I was lost. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, <laughs> seems like it's going well so far. Yeah. It's been an interesting ride, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, it's, uh, it's very interesting to know exactly what you need to do for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, the world opened up a bit. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, so you were just back in Belize, right? I was, yeah. Um, I guess it's a few weeks now. Time flies by between work and family and everything. But yeah. Yeah. A few weeks ago, uh, second week of March. And we had a mix of weather, you know, like lots of saltwater trips. Sure. <laughs> you You envision this like, sunny beautiful calm like you know perfect conditions and often it's a variety of conditions while you're there yeah and you were in southern belize right yeah way south uh, down by Gorda. and um yeah and do you think that i mean i you know i'm i'm almost like belize is coming back into my life Mm -hmm. yeah um do you think i mean those mountains down there right i mean it has to be a different weather i think you've got and again, I, I don't know a ton about it. I've spent some time down there, but I think you've got, like you're saying, there's there's a mountain range down there right off the right off the coast. Yeah, and it's also tucked into the corner. If you look at Belize, it doesn't go you know straight north and south. It yeah, it tucks in, and you've got Honduras, and and I guess it's a little piece of Guatemala, you know, right on the edge there. So I feel like weather uh, and moisture kind of sticks in the jungle area down there. Um, yeah, you can see it. Um, you know, it it. There's a lot of land right around there where you're fishing. So I feel like they get a little bit more clouds and rain and weather, which is common down there. Yep. But then when you're fishing out, you know, on the keys and, and fishing out on the flats out there, often you can see the weather on the shore. Yeah. But you're fishing in clear you know, conditions. Cameron, that was that was good work, by the way. That was that was pretty quick. <laughs> Cameron, um, is this is this your first show, Cameron? It is. All right. We won't give you too much of a hard yeah. time. Yeah, well, just just speed it up a little bit. Like, <laughs> um, well, you know, it, it's another thing that I find very interesting and I was excited to kind of chat with you about is, you know, my my stint with Team USA was mm-hmm. was real short. Um, yeah. Some some of my friends actually sabotaged a portion of it, but of course, <laughs> it was um, it was amazing and it was. 
you know, people can say what they will about competitive fly fishing, whether it has a place or it doesn't. Yeah. You know, everyone has their own view. My view is if I'm not learning, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I did do, you know, a couple of the competitions, I was learning a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, then I went permit fishing and that was kind of the end of that. But I, you know, it's almost like, you know, maybe that was a little bit before your time, but, and then watching you obviously from a distance, mm-hmm. you know, from the fly shop and being like, wow, yeah. Josh, Josh is killing it. Um, it, and that was an eight year run. Yeah. It was about eight to 10 years actually fishing competitively. Um, you know, you bring up a good point. There's, you know, I talk to a lot of different people about it. People ask me about it and stuff. And it, and, and to me for a long time, it's very personal. You know, it's just something that I was interested in and didn't really care if other people liked it or didn't like it. It was, it was, you know, um, but competitive fishing can be pretty polarizing. You know, yeah. when you start asking different anglers and, you know, different sides of the industry, should this be part of what we're, we're doing or not? Um, you know, for me, it was all about what you were talking about, like the learning and the the constant growth and being put in situations that I didn't understand. Yeah, that's awesome. Like that was probably the biggest piece or the biggest uh, reward I would get out of it is like I, I'd fish something or fish in an area or fish in a country where I, you know, this is the way I see it, but it's not that way here. Why? And I don't understand it. Yeah. And that would send me off the deep end. Yeah. You know? And so did you... Um, did you start team USA just because you know, like, it seems like this area is a little bit of a Mecca, obviously. Yeah. Um, and you were so guiding and heard about I it. I was here in Jackson and I was guiding and I was guiding, I was guiding on the green in the spring. I was guiding here in the summer. Um, and then I did some traveling in the winter and a lot of skiing, but yeah. you know, I kind of, I, I spent a few winters in New Zealand and mm-hmm. then when I was kind of wrapping that up, I, I wasn't, I was traveling a ton seasonally and I, you know, I was, um, I was really close with Jeff Courier yeah, and, uh, I worked for him for a while and, uh, we would fish together and, and there was a different level of fishing when I fished with Jeff than when I fished with other guide friends and buddies, yep. you know, and I was attracted to that. Like that was, that yeah. was my kind of fishing. I really enjoyed that. And, uh, he's, he's the one that really said like, Hey, if you're if you like this, if you're interested in this, you you should start to look at it a little bit, you know. Yeah. And uh And then where was your first kind of, you know, debut? Yeah, my first competition was um I actually I think it was with uh I think you interviewed Dan Owis. Yeah. And I think Dan and I literally had the first competition. I think both of us started in Bend, Oregon. Okay, cool. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. At, at the time there weren't tons of competitions around. It was it was really kind of uh that competitive fly fishing was kind of growing or changing and it mm-hmm. was kind of going from a, it, there were some competitions previous to that, but it was more like some practices. And then there was a, there was a team and, and, but it was starting to become a little more formal in the, in the doing points and regionals and nationals. And it, that was just when that kind of got, you know, kind of more formalized. Sure. So there weren't many Western competitions. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple on the East coast and here and there. So there was one in Bend, Oregon. So, um, I went out and fished that. Dan Owens and I knew each other a little bit, but we weren't really close at that point. Sure. It changed over the next four or five years. We became, we'd fish all the time together and became really, really close. Yeah. That, um, that was fun being able to sit down with him as well. It, 
And um, he's going to be excited to hear that we said that. I actually owe him a call. Really? Yeah. So, Well, we grew up in the same hometown. Uh, that's right. Which is crazy because yeah. um, Dan's a couple years older than me. So when I moved to Jackson, people would ask me, well, you know, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, you know, I grew up in New Hampshire. And they're like, where? And I'm like, oh, Manchester, New Hampshire. They're like, doesn't Ois live there? And I kept hearing about this guy, Dan Ois. And I'm like, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't that's, know him. And That's awesome. Oh, you guys. And, you know, we finally did meet and 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 then started fishing a lot together. Had yeah. A lot in common on the, on the fishing side of things, you know. How would you describe, um, you know, in more of an elementary level yeah. to the listeners like what is team usa fly fishing yeah that's a good question so you know competition fly fishing in the in in its basics is it's it's generally for trout sometimes it's for other species particularly in europe like a you know rough fish and stuff uh chubs and stuff like that mostly in europe but Mm -hmm. here in the united states it's generally for trout sometimes white fish and stuff but it's basically you're in a small amount of water generally uh, if it's a river it's between 100 and 200 yards of water and you spend three hours at a time you know fishing that specific beat and you draw that beat so it's a there is a bit of a component of uh you know which beat you draw you know some water can be a little better than others but you you generally like a full little, little bit of a lottery there right? is yeah. there, there's a lottery component and you're fishing against a group of people on that same set of water so that same river one day and one morning same lake that afternoon, you know, so you set, you fish against your group. And as you go to each, um, each venue, generally there's five venues, but what happens is you have, it's done over two and a half days. So you fish in the morning, you fish one section in the afternoon, you fish one section, but they reuse the same sections. So by day two in day three, you're fishing this 150 yard piece of water that maybe you had fished. (laughs) three hours beforehand and two guys had fished the day before. Yeah. So like all of a sudden by day two, day three, that water gets really uh, challenging. Absolutely. To say the least. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. That's a good, um, yeah. And it's very interesting to think, you know, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, a lot of people, like you said, I've said like, well, why would you ever, right? why would you ever take your, your passion into the competitive arena sure. or something but again, I think it goes back to that learning thing. And yesterday, you know, when I was writing your bio, I was listening to one of the interviews you did with mm-hmm. Anglers Covey. And I was just, you know, in a specific part of it, you were talking about like, well, you know, the French do it this way. Mm-hmm. The Czechs do it this way. And like when I was in, you know, Tasmania and I was like just thinking to myself, like, there it is right there. Mm-hmm. Like the amount, the amount of wealth of knowledge that you accumulated yeah. In those years, it's just, I mean, and, and I guess my point being is that anybody that can't appreciate that, mm-hmm. like, I guess I don't have much time for people. No, you know, people look at it and they see certain sides of it. Right. And I, and I can understand that. I, I understand like fly fishing is different for everybody. Right. So exactly. some, some people, they want to go out and, and float or, or wade in a beautiful place and they just want to get away from people and other people, they really get into, um, learning how to fish and they study it and they want to, you know, they, they really want to get better at the sport of fishing. And then, um, you know, I guess what I'm saying is it's different for everybody. Right. And, and certain things appeal to different people. To me, what always appealed to it was that it's almost like that growth curve. Like, like, uh, you you start a little bit and you kind of get a little understanding of it and then you, it builds on itself a little bit. And then all of a sudden with people 
like my personality and I think kind of like your personality, all of a sudden, like you can't consume enough of it. You need to under, you understand more and it starts to snowball. Yeah. That's probably as I've become a little more, a little older and understand it a little better. Like that's where I want to live Yeah, in the snowball or. Oh, that's a great point. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I was just, I just finished uh, this book. I don't know where I put it, but um, it's called the Saltwater Buddha. Okay. And, um, one of the, I'll, I'll, I won't even say the name. What do we got, Cam? Are we? He's got the book. Okay. Oh, there. <laughs> nice. He's good. Yeah. Bonus. <laughs> um, one of the quotes. I, I don't want to fuck up the name, but one of the, basically, the point was like, as a beginner, your options are endless. Mm-hmm. As an expert, your options are are limited. Right. Right. And so. I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying. If you're if you ride that middle curve, mm-hmm. right? And is that what you think? I mean, you seem to have a new found permit fishing kind of addiction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, again, also as I've become more mature, I've started to realize things about myself and why do I gravitate towards these things and then go. I think that's what it is. I think it. Uh, yes, to answer your question, permit now has become an obsession of mine. That's um, awesome. And unfortunately, in a way, I live in the Rocky Mountains and there's not too many permit there, Yeah. right? Uh, but I've found like, it, I've started it a little bit and then all of a sudden it, it's very challenging and, and then I want to learn more. And then as that starts to snowball, all of a sudden it's, I'm tying crabs daily, yeah. <laughs> tying leaders. And my wife's like, what are you doing? You just got back from Belize. Like, why would you be doing this now? You won't even go again for another yeah. X number of months. It's like, no, no, no. I, it's in my head now. And it's still part of the trip. Yes, absolutely. You know, it's, I mean, that's what I, I've tried to tell a lot of people. Like the coolest thing about destination fly fishing is the trip starts when you, when you book your plane ticket, at mm-hmm. least for me, like, yeah. cause then you're locked. Yes. I mean, COVID's obviously it's changed, changed that changed up a little, a little bit, little. Yeah. but yeah. it feels like we're heading in the right direction there. And, and then, like you said, processing the back end. I mean, it's, it's just, yeah, you're not there anymore, but, um, you're still in it in your mind a little it, bit for certain people with personalities like mine, that that's as, as much of the enjoyment is as the actual trip it's the understanding of it the learning the the processing the trying to understand things that are not that you can't quite fix or Absolutely. figure out yeah. and i think that's where competition fishing for someone with my kind of brain i it, you can't control it everything and you can't you just want to i want to learn it i want to learn it i want to understand it a little bit better and it puts a bit of a measuring stick you know, could I figure this out a little bit better than myself previous or somebody else? You know what I mean? Like, um, it wasn't like I needed to beat somebody else in competition fishing. It was like, I'm being put in these different situations that I didn't understand. And could I start to understand them? Absolutely. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a good buddy who (laughs) does a lot of permit fishing yesterday. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he was like, man, He'd just gotten back and he was like, I just, you know, I got back to all this crap and I got to take care. And I was like, you know, it, it, it begs this question to me always. And, you know, what I said to him was if think about it this way, like if, if, if every trip or, or what you feel in your mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're going to go permit fishing, Mm -hmm. you want the weather to be perfect. You want every cast to be the best of your ability you want every fish to react the right way, eat the fly, and mm-hmm. you catch them. Mm-hmm. I was like, the, the craziest thing about that is that if that played out, you would quit. You would. 
I think, and, and he was, and I was like, so put that on your life. Like if you lived there and mm-hmm. did it every day, it's really hard for you to understand, I think. But at least for me, I, I feel like I'm starting to understand it, that you would quickly start dreaming about rivers and trout. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's a good point. It's, um, I think because it's so challenging and because it doesn't always work out the way it should be, it, it drives you like you want it more and you want it more. But if it, if it went, if it was easy, I I've run into other anglers that don't operate the same, the same way. Yeah. They, that just, it doesn't make their clock tick the same or whatever. You know what I mean? Like sure. for me, that's what gets me going is that it's like, it's really hard. It's not right. I need to figure, I want to figure it out or it should have been this way. Yeah. Same with competition fishing. That's not everybody. And and I don't think this permit fishing is for everybody. No. I don't think <laughs> competitive fly fishing is for everybody. Yeah. It's not not because they couldn't do it. Anybody could. They, they might not enjoy that. Yeah. You know? And being in the industry on the on the you know, on the industry side of it, you start to look at the demographic of fly fishing differently and you start to see, oh wow, there's different people that enjoy different things about it. Yeah. For a long time. I couldn't understand it at all. I'm like, what, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah. <laughs> I remember fishing with some guides here in Jackson and uh, Dave Smith, if he for some reason listens to this, I remember him distinctly. I was 25 years old and we were fishing on a day off. We, we weren't booked for some reason or whatever. Or it was bad weather. And we we're like, let's go fish. Okay, cool. And, you know, we were fishing and I was like, I was rowing and then he was rowing and I was like, all right, we, you need to back. Can you just back? Slow me down, slow me down, slow me down. And I'm like, I want to, I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And he's like, dude, like we're on our day off. This, yeah. is, this should be fun. I'm like, I know, but like, we gotta, I want to, we want to, we got to figure this out and this out. And he's like, dude, I'm not, I'm not here to figure stuff out. I yeah. want to drink some beers and, and, and yeah. fish the river and, and have a, you know, take the day off. And I'm like, oh, okay. And, and I, I was having, that's fun to me. Enjoying alert learning and, and really that growth, but that, that's where I get enjoyment out of it. Yeah. And um, I enjoy being with people and, and having a good time. But part of having a good time is trying to figure things out. Absolutely. That works for my brain. Yeah. That is not the case for poor Dave Smith. <laughs> that, he was, a, you know, like when I was 25 and like grinding, trying to figure that out. Yeah. Know? And and I, that's a great point. And I think that, um, you know, I often look at fly fishing just as life and fast mm-hmm. forward, period. Mm-hmm. And you know, even in one day, you can you can kind of get a glimpse of like a life. You you know, you could have highs and lows. Yeah, and it's how you handle yourself in between. But I, I also find that notion very interesting. Like when things are really good, mm-hmm. how people respond. Mm-hmm. Like I've had, like you said, different people have, their brains work differently, and yeah, I've had people yeah. be like, "It's this good. We need to pound the shit out of them." Uh, and I'm like, "Yes, actually, um, I want to just watch now." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, mean, but it's it's very interesting to see like the different, you know, what what it brings out. You know, it is funny. It's it's uh, whatever that human characteristic is, or whatever whatever separate. It's it, it's not right or wrong. It's just different for everybody. Yeah, uh, Tom, who you met, Tom gets uh, who, who I permit fish with. He's, yeah, you know, I'm 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 in the fly fishing industry, and and I have a lot of coworkers that that really are serious anglers and stuff, and and we fish together, but. When it comes to permit fishing, I've kind of now got to a point where I, I really only fish with one or two people because there's a certain kind of mentality or a certain kind of way of looking at things that I if I'm only going to do it a limited amount of time, you know, a year, then I want to fish with specific people that feel the same way. Absolutely. You know? That Tom feels the same way, but he often describes his uncle 
as um, kind of in the situation that you're talking about, where if it gets really good, that's that's the best. That's like this is like ultimate success, and this, or this is where I get the most enjoyment. Yeah. And Tom often talks about when fishing with his uncle. He's like, well, once it gets once we start catching a whole bunch. Now I want to change things or I want to try something different or let's go somewhere else. And he's like, his uncle's like, you're insane. What do you mean go somewhere else? Yeah. Like, yeah. And and I get the same feeling. I get him to eat something, not permit, but other yeah. fish, you know, trout or whatever. I get him to eat something. I'm like, well, maybe they'd eat this better. Or maybe they, would they eat this? Or would they do this? And whatever the heck that is in my brain. Uh, yeah has come out in competitive fishing guiding even permit fishing and i think this day is even almost in the on the business side of it the sport of you know business you yeah know, start uh, you know really trying to analyze things and and then uh you know it's a it's a competitive thing but it's competitive in my with myself i guess you know absolutely and in in your stint i mean obviously mm-hmm. there's some huge accolades right i mean like it's weird hearing you say that but yes yeah okay in your eight years of well we're you know competitive fishing yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um what what would you say was kind of the you know your biggest highlight so i think the the pinnacle for me uh, you know in the competitive the time i spent competitive fishing was probably when we were in bosnia and bosnia was right in the middle of my kind of career with you know competitive fishing and we won a team medal in Bosnia, but I remember thinking before going to Bosnia, like, wait, what are we in Bosnia? Like I did some research on the fishing and you know, they, they have some clear water. It's obvious they have some spring creeks and, but like, we're going to Bosnia, like there's grayling there, which we don't have here. There's, you know, trout there. Are they stocked? Are they wild? There, there wasn't a ton of information on, you know, fishing in Bosnia and we're going to this region. I don't know what region, you know, yeah. you're trying to, it's not like here in the, you know, Rocky Mountains, I can go buy a guidebook or something. Sure. This is like, okay, Bosnia. Yeah, there's fishing. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, so we go to Bosnia f- for this competition and everything was different. The cultures were very different. The, um, they, it, it, you know, in lots of Europe, they, they smoke a lot. Yeah. In Bosnia, they smoke like I've never <laughs> seen. I don't know. If, have you ever been there? No, I have not, but I, I can picture it. The, the European, you know, competitors that I was fishing with, they that smoked spoke about how bad the smoking was in yeah. Bosnia. You you'd be at a restaurant and the waitress is smoking right next to you. It's <laughs> absolutely acceptable. That's awesome. It's one of the craziest things. So um, you know the the lady checking us in at the hotel smoking the whole time. Yeah, it's just the part of their culture. I don't smoke at all. It was, it was there were things about the culture that were very very different. But it was it was a beautiful landscape. But also there had been a. As you know, they had had, uh, boy, uh, a very serious war, genocide. I, mm-hmm. It was it was a really bad conflict. And you could see um, a lot of the countries very, very green where we were. But you could see as you were driving, like there were homes that had been destroyed, but they had rebuilt right next to it. And there were there was some stuff there that was kind of out of my, uh, I had never seen anything like this before. A little bit intimidating too, probably. Very intimidating. Yeah. yeah you flow into Sarajevo, you know, yeah. and you're like. Sarajevo, I've only heard of that on the, yeah. I don't know what Bad stuff on the news. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. And it, it was such the opposite of that. The people were so friendly and they were, they didn't really want to talk about the conflict that had happened there. But over time, fishing with guides, they would kind of bring stuff up and talk about it. But I'm kind of going in a lot of different directions oh, no, here. I, I want to hear more. 
it, it was just such a out of my world experience. You know, yeah. some of the other places I had fished were, you know, I knew a little bit more or like um, there was it just I was more comfortable. And then in Bosnia, it was like, oh, this this might be different, you know. And, yeah. Um, but with that being said, it was incredible. It was incredibly beautiful. Um, they were giant spring creeks that kind of came out of the mountain, size mm-hmm. of a river, but they were springs, you know. Yeah. Incredibly clear water. Um, most of it was single fly only. So you're only allowed to fish one fly, which in the kind of stuff we do, particularly deeper water, nymphing yeah. was really challenging. Big difference. Uh, big grayling. You could see them wow. sight fishing to these fish. And I think where, you know, what was so incredible about it, it was we, we had had a, a very similar team for the last four or five years at that point, at least at our world team level. The guys that were traveling, myself, Lance Egan, Devin Olson, Norman McTimer, um, and, and Pat Weiss, the, the five of us had fished a lot together and there's something we understood how we fished, you know, our strengths and weaknesses. And we really understood ourselves as a team. And then going to a country like this, where none of us had, no one had any experience with any of this stuff. We were able to figure it out during practice and start to identify some things that worked for us. Yeah. And what stood out there was um, you could see these grayling. You could see them. Uh, they would shoal up. They would kind of group up uh, in big ones, and they would get in some shallow kind of gravelly water. And you could catch one out of a few, but they were really hard, and you'd spend a lot of time fishing to them. And we don't fish grayling, and they eat differently. But it turned out they had wild brown trout, and uh, they would hide in the shadows on banks, under trees, you mm-hmm. know, and just like a normal u.s wild brown trout would you Mm -hmm. know um and we started kind of fishing some areas where you couldn't see the fish but you would catch them if you if you focused on like kind of that kind of water the wild and we started catching a lot of fish they weren't as big as some of the grayling but we're catching lots of them and part of the sport of competitive fly fishing uh there is a size component and there's a numbers component Mm -hmm. and you always have a judge with you so they have to be seven inches or bigger um but two you know, smaller fish sometimes can score more than a large fish. It depends. Real large fish, no. But like, yeah. there is a numbers component to it. Yeah, and that, that has to, that plays into the mindset. I mean, you, you have to adjust the way you're thinking. You can't just be like, I need big fish because you could be hurting yourself. Absolutely. Big fish definitely count more, but lots of, or all of them. The way I describe to some people is, you know, in competitive fishing, um, the goal is to catch all of them in a set amount of water. That mm-hmm. sounds, not everyone wants to hear that, but that yeah. is what you're trying to do. <laughs> sure. It doesn't, definitely not, doesn't work that way all the time. But the difference um, for a lot of people, if you and I were to go fish in a competition together against mm-hmm. each other right now, and you would walk up to water and you would, you'd see the good water. You, you fished all, all over and I know that you would be able to identify what we would call a water. Yeah. There it is right there. They, this kind of conditions, these kind of fish, they should be in, in that water. Well, in competitive fishing, you look at that water and you're going to get there. You want to catch fish out of that water. But not right away. No. Yep. You need to catch fish <laughs> everywhere in between there. Yep. If you were, if you and I were competing against each other, you were to walk up to that water and you kind of wade your way out there and you toss your big rig out there and you catch a nice fish out of that juice, the, yeah. the A water. That's awesome. The, the, the really, really good competitors, the guys that have played this sport long enough, they would catch six in between and then yep. they would catch five out of that same water and then smile as they're walking towards the a water yes yes (laughs) they would be taking they they would they have techniques to fish all the seawater and b water and you know what i mean they're they're 
that's why I kind of, when people ask me about it, I'm like, they're like, well, are these the best fishermen you've ever seen? I, no, not necessarily. I've seen some other unbelievably non, you know, anglers that are not competitors. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't do that. But well, would they beat you? And it's like, or, or any, would, would they beat Lance or yeah. Devin? Uh, no, in my opinion. And, and here's why, because it, there is a game to this. You know, sure. there is a, there's, there's a set of rules. And if you know how to work within those rules, there's a, there's a sport to it, you know? And, um, what it taught me was that fish live in all different kinds of crazy water and, in just my, my one standard rig for the good water, it'll catch fish there, but like there are ways to catch them in all other kinds of water. Yeah. So what, yeah, guess, and the, the. You know, I guess it goes back to, again, this idea of learning. Like the fact that you need to adhere to these rules, think about it. Yeah. You know, the byproduct is you're learning a shitload of information. It absolutely. And I (laughs) I think now at this point you start to absorb, you you really understand what like, yeah, you're, yeah, I'm doing it in a competition setting and you're trying to learn in Bosnia or wherever you Yeah. But like eventually that becomes part of your fly fishing, you know, library. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. In do you would you say that I mean to to hear you speak and and it is one of those, you know, people have said I'm crazy to only do these mm-hmm. podcasts in person, but I think that's a perfect example. I could feel what you're talking about when mm-hmm. you, like that kind of culture shock, if you will, of going to a new place. Yeah. The fact that you guys did so well in Bosnia, do you attribute any of that to the team having to kind of come together a little bit more because of that? Right, like absolutely, kind of like wow, where are we? Yeah, you know, there's, um, and again, I, I I don't talk a ton about competition fishing usually uh, because it's very polarizing. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, it's, but it's fun to talk about. It. I did it a lot, you know, for for a while. And um, I would say in Bosnia, yeah, there was definitely part of that. Like it was such a culture shock. We felt like probably of all the competitions we had done up to that point, we were probably positioned to be least successful if that makes sense we went into it like with pretty and, low expectations and for the listeners right yeah. i mean you, you can sum this up better than me probably but historically you know usa has not been a powerhouse no there had been there's been around 30 world championships and i think well we had never team medaled at that point we'd never yeah, been in the go. top three yeah there you, you go. know we had had one individual medal at that point and that was jeff courier you mm-hmm. know when he was in spain but up to that point, no, it was almost like a, 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 a yeah, we yeah. were not so, relevant. So the cards were stacked against you regardless. Absolutely. Yeah. We were starting to get better. We were having, yeah. we had some fifth place finishes, some sixth, you know, fourth, I think at one point, you know, like we were, yeah. but that team, Clawing away. we were, we were starting yeah. to get, become relevant, you know, and that part of that, I think was that, that five man, six man, you know, group of us that had spent enough time at this point to really because there is a team component to it. Absolutely. When you're when you when there's a lottery system and they're drawing beats, I may get a really bad beat. Uh, in Bosnia, I drew a beat that had reeds <laughs> and ducks floating around in it. Like and I'm looking above me and there's beautiful riffles yeah. 50 75 yards ahead of me yeah. and I'm sitting in pond water. Yeah. Throwing dry flies to a random <laughs> rise every once in a while and I caught two or three little fish and the Spanish guy above me caught 36 out yeah. of one riffle. Because all the fish were in there, and that—that's part of the, the game of it. But when you spread that out among five anglers on a team, somebody one one of your guys is going to get a set of really good beats. One of them is going to get a set of pretty bad beats. Yeah, and then everyone else is going to kind of end up in the middle. 
Yeah. And then that's where you start looking at it as a team sport and say like, all right, this is, if I were to win individually, yes, you have to have a skill set that's going to be able to do that. But you also have to be able to draw the, there's 30 countries that do it. There are 30 beats. Yeah. If you take 30 sections of water on any river, it's going to be a mixed bag of who gets <laughs> good water and bad water. And there's going to be a lot of in between. Yeah. So it's like a law of averages, basically. You know, if you have a five person team and you all have five different sections of water, that's where, we, yes, we started leaning into the team component of it. Yeah, cool. And understanding once somebody figured out that we were catching, you know, you could see the grayling and they were like, obviously, you want to fish these big grayling. And they were, they were really, really hard. And you could catch one here and there, but you'd spend 30, 45 minutes doing it. You get three hours. If you work your way up a dark bank with overhanging trees and you would catch four, five, six small brown trout out of it, yeah. and then work your way back down and catch one of those grayling quickly and then go back and catch more wild brown. Again, it's a game, but like that's where it was so obvious to fish for the grayling. And as a team, we figured out like, wow, there's these wild brown trout eat like they do anywhere yeah. else. But no one's fishing for them because there's 18-inch grayling sitting yeah. right in front of you. Yeah. And we, it's not like we didn't fish for them. We just we we didn't spend as much time on them. And in the sport of this, we ended up being really successful and winning a silver medal at a world championships that we other people had competed there, other countries, they could drive there. Yeah. We were flying there, you're you're a disaster, you know, you're over in Europe, you're trying to practice in a country that you feel very uncomfortable in. And yeah. then as a team, we started to figure out like, wow, this, uh, we, we have something here. And then there's the lakes out of it, which um, there, I believe there was only one lake there, but there's, that's kind of the great equalizer. That's, there's no beats. Yeah. You just get put in a boat and you fish wherever you want to fish in the lake and <laughs> you get three hours. So the more lakes, you know, in my opinion, anyways, the more lakes, the more even it is. Gotcha. You know, huh. um, have you, um, have you read Monty Burke's book the, on the tarpon fishing, The Lord of the Flies? No, I have two copies of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's sitting on my uh, my list of things to read. Uh, I was given a couple copies over uh, Christmas. This yeah, last year. well, I'd love to talk to you after you read it. I think, um, you know, just hearing you talk about it, one thing that Monty Burke does in that book that is uh, really special is he brings, you know, tarpon fishing mm -hmm. um, and the intricacies and the stories that are crazy about Homo Sassa when yeah. people were fishing there and no one was there. Mm -hmm. And he puts it on a, on a level that everyone can read it. So like if you didn't know anything about tarpon fishing. Yeah. So I guess the reason for me bringing that up is like when you do write a book. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's really cool to hear about your experiences, especially, you know, from where I'm sitting, which was like I started to go yeah. down that path. And mm -hmm. then I was like. Actually, I'm going to go to the saltwater. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You went down that. Yeah, avenue. and mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I guess I would just I would love to read about it someday. Yeah, if, yeah. If you uh, so, I might just uh, throw that out there. Maybe someday. Uh, it's fun now because I I kind of finished up competing in 2019. We uh, my wife and I had been married a couple years and work was very busy and we were starting to work on having uh, a kid. You know, yeah. That we're a little older and took a little bit, but um. I can relate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it just was at that time in our life, and we were um, we were actively working on that. And she's like, oh, you know, she when she met me, I was very serious about. She didn't know what fly fishing was. Oh. Yeah, it's like okay, fly uh -oh. fishing, cool. Uh -oh. You know, right? And, uh, yeah, I'm like, I'm into this, and and then she comes to my house. You know, at that point, I my whole living room is this giant looked like somebody's fishing garage. Yeah. You know what I mean? She's yeah. like, what is? I don't. 
okay, fishing. I, I get it, you know. Anyways, long story short, I, I finished up competitive fishing in 2019 at, in Tasmania. And I, I, I knew, I had told the guys on the team, like, this will be my last one. I, I felt fortunate to have fished seven of them and spend that much time doing it. But at that, if you're trying to do it at a real serious level, the amount of dedication and time you need to put into it to be, to be at a, a top level, it, it's more than I knew if I was going to really commit to having a family in my, my career. Yeah. That I had to do some shifting, you know. Yeah, and right, I mean, we have both seen people leave it. Absolutely. And then come back to it at a later point. Yes. So mm-hmm. I mean I guess I guess that's nice, you know, knowing that's there. I, I I guess I was kind of the same way. Yeah. Right? Like I you know, you start looking at your kids and it might mm-hmm. t- and then it was like, well, you know, money and, and all of it, and then it's like Yeah. You know, you make a decision. And and I, I'm not you know, I might go back to it. Yeah. But um, for now, I'm not. I think it's funny, you know, because you and I have known each other a little bit or I've known of you. I think you, we've had a lot of friends in common. Yeah. And it's funny how many friends you have that have been in the competitive fly fishing world. Uh, Hickey and Ois. And, yeah, Erickson. And oh, yep, yep. started with Bip. I was just thinking when you were naming the team members, there was only one yep. that I hadn't fished with or known. That's right. Yes. Um Probably Pat Weiss in Pennsylvania. Yeah, exactly. He will never listen to this. He lives yeah. in a cave in Pennsylvania. <laughs> but awesome. um but uh Cameron, find the cave. Yeah, yeah. We gotta yeah. But look up Pat Weiss. Uh yeah. yeah, he would love this. Um I have some great pictures of him wearing hip waders and stuff. He's one of the very, very, very best anglers I've ever seen. That's and it's awesome. rare when you meet a lot of anglers that you someone stands out. There he is. You know, I, I didn't even know we'd go this direction, but Pat Weiss him and I have very, very different personalities and, and we fish very, very differently. I fish more Western style fishing. He grew up and has lived his whole life in Pennsylvania. And it, the way he fishes and approaches water is 100% different than That's the way. That's so cool though. It is incredibly cool to, to think about it and go back on it. And 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 in the moment, I, I thought he was weird and, 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 and I didn't, I couldn't understand what he's doing and I, I actually didn't believe how he was doing it. He would describe ways he was fishing for trout now he would talk about like rolling flies on the bottom or rolling flies on sand patches next to rocks and i'm like <laughs> what are you talking about like it's so cool though. lance and i and devin are and we're just fishing this water this way and we're all doing it relatively similar and we can i understand what they're saying and pat it was totally different but he uh, is one of the best river anglers I've ever seen. And um, he's blown my mind numerous times just standing watching him. And I would fish through water and catch some fish. And he would come by and come behind me and catch as many or more. That's After awesome. I've already fished it and thought yeah. it was done. And to see someone do that, it, you know, when you think you're taking this seriously and you think you're decent at it, you know, to what he would do, come approach it completely different than I would. Yeah, and, and, a, and another bonus for this whole thing. I mean, it's yes. like... The yeah. people you meet, like you were just saying, like, yes. I mean, I've, you know, I was lucky enough to work with some of them. Yep. Um, it's probably one of the reasons, you know, I was able to have the confidence to ask you to come on here, sure. right? Just mm-hmm. because of the people mm-hmm. we know in and, common, and yeah. like you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, well, I have a, I have a ton of respect for that, and I'm I'm gonna move on yeah, from sure. the competitive part, but yeah. But um, you know, I don't. We haven't. We didn't even get to like the, your other. Uh... No, it's 
it's a it's a fun game and it it really for for people that are interested in it i think um you know the learning aspect of it and the it's not just about competition you know what i mean yeah i would say this though about competitive fly fishing um it seems to be getting more and more popular particular with young anglers but there's a in my opinion there's a bit of a problem with that and i think the problem is a lot of those young anglers or new competitive anglers are not necessarily um, learning the the true basics or foundation of fly fishing. They're kind of jumping right into competitive fly fishing and those techniques. Sure. And myself and Lance and, and Erickson and, and, a few, and a lot of these other people, they came from a very serious fly fishing background previous to starting competitive angling. Yeah. And then they learn those techniques. Yeah. And I would encourage most people that start to get into it to really dive into the, the true nuts and bolts or foundation of fly fishing. Yeah. And then get into those niche techniques that work for that kind of sport. Yeah. Put some time in before Absolute. some fly fishing straight, yeah. like classic fly fishing. Yeah. And Which is what made a lot of you guys extremely successful. It's one of two different uh, differentiators. I think uh, one would be that background, like a true classic fly fishing background and then applying competition techniques. The other side of it is, is the mental side of it. And I think that gets overlooked in probably all sport. Probably Absolutely. better understood in other sports, but yeah, like, I mean, your boy Brady. <laughs> I mean, like, talk about the me? mental side. Of, yeah, I mean, listen, I've, yeah. I, I'm joking about the Patriots in a way, yeah, but yeah. Um, not really. But I'm you, about to become a vegan. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm talking. about. It's unbelievable. Yeah, no, and 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 I think that's really cool for you to point out because as we do get older, right, we mm-hmm. do start paying a little more attention to the brain and yeah the mind um one question that i did have it seems like we can't get away from this yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, but yeah. one question i did have and i wrote this down was um so if you sum up all of that time mm-hmm. um and then let's jump to the fact that you're doing more permit fishing yeah mm-hmm. what what could you take from that time period of competitive fishing for trout mm-hmm. you know other species that that has been a huge bonus for you in the world of permit fishing? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the biggest thing is just um, uh, analysis of what you're doing, trying to understand it and and trying to break it down into small executable pieces, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, yeah, I've talked to a couple of people or, or read a lot of articles. I've written a couple of articles about trying to almost control variables or control things that are controllable yeah. and then deal with the variables, right? Yeah. So to me, in competitive fly fishing or even permit fishing, there are things that you can you have you can control. Absolutely. Um, I, I, casting. I, I I worked for a long, 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 long time on casting and did some competitive casting and this and that. But it, again, it was more to learn the foundation of fly fishing. Yeah. Right? And uh, and I think that. These days, everyone wants the end result, right? Like you want, I want to throw it out of the stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, but there's there's so much learning to be had on trying to in the middle ground of the snowball. The snowball effect. Yes, Yes. yeah. And I think so. What I've taken from competitive fly fishing is like, all right, there are things in competitive fly fishing that I can control. I can control flies. I can control casting. I can control this, uh, that. You know, like you can. I can identify these things that I can control. And then there's things I can't, but I want to focus my energy when I'm competing or when I'm fishing on the things that I understanding and that I can't control. Same in permit fishing. And I think so like now, right now I'm diving into flies, you know, or leaders or, sure. or casting or, 
or because all the other situations, the weather, the how the fish are behaving, this and that, I can't control those. Yeah. But I sure as hell can control the other stuff. Yeah. It sounds a lot like life. <laughs> yes. It is a lot like life. But it's it's work. Yeah. You know, it's 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 it takes discipline. And it's it, very hard to explain to your wife. Oh, it's, <laughs> she does not. Yeah, it's yeah. I, she'll listen to this someday. Yeah. She's going to be like, she'll have some comments. She would love yeah. to be here. She's yeah. uh, She has some thoughts on my attitudes yeah. towards this. <laughs> you know? Well, maybe, maybe in the next one we we'll can. We'll have her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll have her call in. Well, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's very well said. And um, it's cool, the parallels, right? I mean, it's almost like you're training training the mind a little bit. It works for me. You know, that's, yeah. what I, that's the enjoyment that I get. And I think you and I, we've touched on this a little bit together when I assume your brain kind of works similar, you know, like that's where my enjoyment comes is, is the work of it, the the process of it. Right. Yeah. And I think you hear all the, you know, Tom Brady, you're the best athlete in the world, obviously, but you hear all these other athletes talk about like, it's truly the pursuit, I think for, for, you know, the trying to get there, trying to understand it, trying to get there, trying to in the practice. Yeah. And it's funny in our sport, I just had a conversation with someone the other day about why why don't people practice this that much? Why don't they practice fly fishing? It's interesting. And I've started to, I have a lot of friends that are like bow hunters, very serious bow hunters. Those guys shoot every day. Yeah. They shoot three, four times a week. They're It's March. They're shooting. It's April now, yeah. but like they're shooting now for a hunting season in the fall. Yeah. They're, they're working on arrows. They're doing, they're doing, they're physically working out. They're trying to, they're doing all these things. Golf is another example. Yeah. I talked to someone the other day. They're like, oh, I'm not going golf and I haven't been working on my game or I'm not, I've been working on my swing. I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a swing coach. These are amateur golfers, guys that are just, you know, playing golf here and there, yeah. but they're working on this. Wine fishing do people don't, they don't take the same wait, wait until you're on the water. You're going yeah. to, you and I, we're in Belize. Like, and I haven't cast a nine weight in nine months. Yeah. Why wouldn't, why don't people take the same approach towards fly fishing as they do some of these other pursuits? Is it because they don't keep score or it's just an experience for them or what? what? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And um, even, I think I'd add another layer onto that. And that would be, <clears throat> excuse me. How, how many people have told people <laughs> what you really need to do is put a 10 weight in a bucket outside your back door, right, right. pick it up for a half an hour a day mm-hmm. and then go back. Just right. like you're saying. But I guess my point is how many people have expressed what you're expressing yeah. and people don't listen. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. What's Maybe the percentage the, is probably really low that they actually do it. Right? Oh, I would say it's under 5%. But why in other sports like, like golf, such a, you know, the, the, my wife's family golfs and stuff. And my father-in-law's 70, or excuse me, he's late 60s. But he practices his golf game. Yeah, He's never going to win anything. He doesn't do anything. You know, he's not competitive at it, but he practice. It's part of that sport. That yeah, you- maybe, maybe. And, and well, I think part of it, I would say, has to do with ego, mm-hmm. right? Because I, I think that's a part of it. I'll leave that there. Yeah. That, we, yeah. Could, we could go into that for sure. hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other part might be, and this actually could be a pretty cool business endeavor, we don't have a range. Right. We don't have any place, a club. Right. We don't have places to go where you can get a little of that social interaction mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and practice your game, with which right. 
bow hunting, maybe not, but I have like, I'm a disaster when it comes to hunting, uh-huh. but I'm trying to learn, <laughs> sure. um, you know, I've got scars on the, you know, to mm-hmm. prove it, but, uh-huh. um, but I, you know, I had, did hear a couple of times, well, if you're thinking about it, we're shooting on Tuesdays and right. I was like, you know, there you go to your point. Like maybe mm-hmm. we could, that might be a good, uh, you know, because it's always about like classroom stuff, like sure. 101 instead of. Let's meet once a week and, you know, yeah, practice. <laughs> well, I meet a lot of anglers, you know, on different levels, whether they're in the industry or not, that are there. They consider themselves an angler. They fish a lot. You know, they, they take it what they consider seriously. You know, they, they, they some would consider themselves experts, mm-hmm. but you fish with them or you, yeah. or, 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 <laughs> you're like, or and you're like, oh, hang on a second. Yeah. Like you, you could be better at this Yeah, and you do this a lot. You invest, you know, travel to wherever it's going to cost a fair bit of money and you've invested all this money in gear and this and that and you're an angler but you're not actively trying to really get better at the sport you're participating in the sport yeah and on the on the flip side i mean i have a very a great buddy and we were in the boat together permit fishing yep and he he made a couple of shots and i know him well enough i was like hey Mm -hmm. if you want to get better at this and we went through exactly what you and i are just talking about right and then we sat back down. I think he cracked a beer and we started rolling. He's like, I- I'm not sure I do. That's right. And I yeah. was like, okay. <laughs> Fast forward to the next day. Yeah. Um, he comes back, huge smile on his face. I'm like, what happened? I could tell. Mm-hmm. And he was like, caught the biggest permit of my life. And I was like, all right, replay. Give it to me. You yeah, know? yeah. And he's like, well, complete opposite of what you were trying to teach me happened. Really? I hit, hit myself in the head with the fly. The fly landed yeah. about, you know, eight feet in front of the boat. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. guide said, don't move it and started backing the boat up. And oh. I was like, wow, my mind is... You, you just know. blew your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I um, think permit will do that to you. It seems... I hear more and more of those kinds of stories. Or, yeah, you know, you, which makes you think even... I mean, It right? keeps me going down the rabbit hole further because you... How did that happen? And then... Yeah. And Will, Will Benson and I have talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I find this topic amazingly. I will never hit myself in the head with a fly, <laughs> have it fall on the side of the boat. Yeah, right. And have something come and grab it. Like it's never... Yeah. But, but there's, something, there's something to that, right? Yeah. I mean, like, why, you know, maybe it's because I do, like, strive to, like, keep trying to push the needle mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. opposed to letting it go a little bit and right. sitting back and being like, wow, I just wailed myself. And like, oh, yeah. but I'll still catch this fish. I've had a couple of guides, particularly permit guides, uh, you know, that I've fished with a fair bit. And, and they've eventually told me, you, you need to stop caring so much about this. You're, yeah. you're, and I don't think necessarily it's because I'm sitting there jumping up and down and crying about it and getting, you know, all upset. I'm just, I'm constantly asking, well, what do I need to do different? Tell me, tell yeah. me, tell me, tell me what I just... Tell yeah. me what we could have done differently there. And eventually they're like, particularly with permit, they're like, listen, man, nothing. It's fine. Exactly. You did it right. And I'm yeah. like, well, it didn't work. Yeah. So I could have even maybe just on that fit. And they're like, you can't, their permit, you can't just figure this out. And in, if I'm being really honest in my ego or my, in the back of my head, I'm like, that's bullshit. Yeah. I know that it can, yeah. I can figure something out. I know that I truly, if I sit back sitting here, you know, I could tell you that there, there there's definitely things I can't figure out and that there's yeah. variables that you can't control, but the, my personality doesn't believe that. Well, and then that's also inherently you knowing, right? That the, the memory 
mm-hmm. has to be a short game. Like if you're thinking right. about what happened, right? You know, you're you're dead. Mm-hmm. You, you need to be like that's over. That mental component of it, I think, whether it's competitive fly fishing, permit fishing, probably other things, actually business. You know what I mean? Sure. That being able to you win you win some, you lose some. You you know that consistency of being able to let it go and move on to the next and continue to move forward. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, it's easy to say now talking here at a table, yeah. like standing on the bow of a boat and having a perfect shot at a permit and it doesn't work. Like, yeah, well, what, a- absolutely. And that, that's actually a great, um, segue. You know, you mentioned business yeah. and your, your current role mm-hmm. o- on that topic. I just, I, you know, last night I, I watched the piece you and a couple others did with G Loomis and Umqua oh, yeah, about yeah. adapt. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I thought that was very cool. Okay. I mean, cause yeah. that was like, that's kind of what you're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean like, yes, there's more people coming into the sport. Right. It's more crowded. Mm-hmm. And after I watched your, your guys piece, I thought about it and I was like, you know, what could I ask you about that? And yeah. then I started thinking to myself, like the funny thing is, is that is all happening. Mm hmm. Um, and yes, I've had a huge changes in my work life and all of that, but mm-hmm. I've never been so alone fishing. Right, <laughs> so, right. so I have mm-hmm. adapted. Um, yeah. and I think, um, th- that piece was very cool. And so on that note, I mean, you know, being the national sales manager at Umqua, mm-hmm. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the largest fly manufacturer in the world, in the world. Right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, business has to be cranking, right? I mean, Businesses, COVID has been very friendly to uh, the fly fishing <laughs> business, as you're well aware. Um, yeah, no, and, and uh, you know, in the business world, you know, what what we do um, at Umqua, you know, we're the world's largest fly manufacturer. We, you know, we produce um, all kinds of other products and leader and tippet and hooks and, and packs and bags and, and what we call Streamside, which is accessories. Uh, you know, we're a fly fishing company. We're a fly fishing brand. Uh, we've been around for 50 years. Uh, we've been doing, you know, flies for, for over 50 years now commercially. And, uh, yeah. And the, as far as adapting goes, uh, it's constant, you know, we're dealing with natural materials constantly. And those are, um, if you're not aware, you know, shipping those back and forth, uh, across the ocean, uh, <laughs> you know, that there's a lot of like, uh, crazy things that happen trying to get that done. And yeah, I think in the, on the business world side of things, things, don't always go the way you plan for them, right? Like you're always, you, yeah. you, you, I mean, you make this great plan and you're like, all right, we're going to do this. And, I, and then there's variables. There's things that come in from the side that you didn't see were going to happen. And you just try and really work on like um, controlling or, or fixing the things you can and then moving on and, and keep the ship going the right direction, you know? Yeah. And, and what has been, um, you know, the, what, 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 what and we, like you said, you summed it up, right? Like, Business is cranking. It has been. Yeah. Um, COVID's been friendly, but what, what's been the biggest surprise out of that? I guess. Yeah, the biggest surprise, um, boy, in the in the in the previous, you know, in the situation that's been the last couple of years, I think the biggest surprise is that we assumed it would be over quicker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, you, you kind of we went into it, no one knew what would happen. Everything came to a grinding halt, and then. It turned back on in the fly fishing world, like people found the outdoors, you know, and and this is not unique just to the fly fishing industry, you know, it's all... all But outdoor world. Outdoor world, period, right? So then it double timed, like all of a sudden, like we, you know, everyone needed double and wanted double, wanted more and more and more. And that's lasted for about 18 months. 
And uh, I think the biggest surprise is that it continued to um, to go on for so long. You know what I mean? Yeah, that absolutely. Just... And then probably projections are harder than they've ever been looking forward. Right? Yes. I mean, when you have these giant, you know, we're a 50-year-old company. When you have these giant blips, right? Like this is a in, in a way a blip or at least a change, right? This giant swing. Is it going to last? Is it going to do? And you don't forecast for that kind of growth. No company that, uh, you know, at least on the manufacturing side looks at it and goes like, wow, we're going to. We're gonna, we're, they weren't ready for it. So being yeah. able to react to it and do something about it, you can't just turn on a light switch and make that happen. You know, yeah. particularly, in the, particularly in the categories that we're in, in, in flies in particular, you, you don't just hit another button. They're all hand-tied flies with natural materials. Yeah, you, know, you can't just go get 30, 40, 50% more in a couple weeks. They, yeah, and I was reading, um, again, like another bonus of this show, right? Is like, I, you know, I naturally, the, you know, you were kind enough to make this happen quick. Sure. And so I'm like, I got to, you know, look into. So I, I was reading on the um, Umqua last night about kind of the interview that Howard Cole did. Yeah. Um, and got to get him on here at some point. But, yeah. you know, I at High Country. yesterday. Did you? Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was such a cool, I didn't read the whole thing, but mm-hmm. the part I kind of stopped and was thinking about it was about the, this idea that like, you know, the U.S. was pretty snobby about flies, yeah, and that it was like, well, with the right, you know, training and the right. I mean, it's kind of the the foundation, right? When Jim Black started on Quora, yes. right? That mm-hmm. like we can also do this elsewhere. Yeah, it was actually Dennis Black that started there. Oh, sorry, no, sorry. no, but people, yeah. it was Dennis Black that started. Yeah, the the nuts and bolts for people that aren't you know um, in the industry or don't know as much about Umqua as, as maybe you do or the article you're you're talking about. I think it's on our website, but it was an interview with Howard Cole. It was talking about like the, you know, how fly production, commercial fly production kind of started. And there was, um, the, the nuts and bolts of it are, um, we, we have uh, royalty tires, in the, it, not just in the United States, all over the world, but people that send us flies. And, and we, if their patterns make sense for our catalog, we work back and forth with them and we sign a contract that says, hey, we will get your flies produced and we will distribute them throughout the United States. Back in the day, there were individual tires and contract tires around, but they, they, you couldn't get enough flies for a fly shop. You could only get them seasonally. And sure. if your guy in the wintertime came through and tied enough flies for your season as a business. So what, what Dennis Black did was really kind of, he recruited some of, at the time it was Randall Kaufman. It was uh, Jack Dennis. It was uh lawson lawson yeah. yep mike lawson he was a big part of it and there, there were three or four main key people that he started taking their patterns and they created a relationship and he would take their patterns and he would take them he was actually looking for hackle at the time mm-hmm. he was over in india and was, boy it can, we can go a long ways down sure. this road but they were he was looking for hackle over over in asia and in, in that part of the world and he was meeting people in cultures that that did a lot of bead crafting and, and handcrafts, like like uh, culturally, you know. Yeah. And he was buying chicken feathers over there because there were no genetically engineered, uh, you yeah. know, chickens that we have yeah, now exactly. yeah. for dry fly hackle. There was none of that then, so he was looking for hackles, and he he developed some relationships uh, in some areas over there and started taking flies, and he taught them to tie flies. That's basically, cool. is what happened. And all of a sudden, he realized like. They didn't really know what a mayfly was or what a caddis was, but they could tie, they could produce what we were doing as well or better than the people that invented them here. Yeah. And he eventually opened up a factory. I believe the first one was in India. 
And eventually now it's um, most of our flies are produced in, in, in Thailand and Sri Lanka and in Laos. And yeah, uh, that's cool. No going too deep into it. Yeah, um, no, I mean, I, I got to witness, I got to go, I don't even remember what the company or, or yeah. but, um, in Bhutan, I got to go into a small little oh, factory yeah. and, mm-hmm. um, it was pretty cool because you could see like the dedication and yeah, I mean not to mention the skill. I mean, wow, it's unbelievable. And you know, I remember when I first started, Uncle, people would explain fly factories, and in my head, I was like, "All right, factories. What is a factory? You know, it's like this big gray building, kind of dark with ceiling Smoke fans everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> that's my, you know, this Nike factory yeah. somewhere or whatever. That was in my head. Uh, the reality is, you you can't tie CDC flies in ninety eight percent humidity and low light. You know what yeah. I mean? And so these are these are small little operations. They look like someone's house almost. They're they're climate controlled, one hundred percent for humidity and temperature. Um, we're tying on hooks. You know, they, there's a rust component. There's you have to you have to control the environment you're making them in, um, and then the lighting. I mean, it's it's beautiful. They they look kind of like a almost like a lab. Like they have no yeah. tying. Like you and I, we tie. We have a tying lamp on our desk. And yeah, I mean, lamp. I get to tie in here. Right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have plenty yeah. of natural light, and then yeah. but. In these factories, they're 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 very very well lit. They're very very clean. It's a it's a very skilled labor position, and and they're small. When I think of factory, I think of like eight hundred people. I don't, yeah. I don't, I've never been to many factories. Period. But these are like sixty, eighty, a hundred people. They're, they're yeah. it's, a, it's an unbelievable position that they have, and they do an unbelievable job for us. And That's- I've I've heard stories of like Mike Lawson and and uh, like the no hackle like flies that are traditionally very challenging to tie. Mm-hmm. And I've heard stories of uh, some of our, our trainers or some of our tires that have been with us for 20 or 30 years. They've come over here to the States before for shows and stuff like that. And yeah, there's some crazy stories of Mike Lawson and um, I believe it's Chandra, one of our head tires, you know, tying uh, double winged, you know, no hackles and yeah. stuff with many small wings. It's a, you know. The, yeah. And for those listening, right. Yeah. These are very hard. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, Dexterity. If you're not familiar, look up a, a Lawson's no hackle. And, yeah. And tell. Let's, and let's if you haven't tied one of those before, which most people have not, um, you know, we produce hundreds and hundreds of dozens of these every year, and um, they're they're one of those flies that most people would say, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to tie that. Yeah. You know, I'll buy that one. Yeah. And, exactly. Uh, but That's Mike me. was just blown away with the the quality, the consistency. That's the thing is their speed is one thing. They're they're incredibly fast and in, at what they're doing and efficient. But the quality and the consistency that they can do it in is like no other. Yeah, and I, I was kind of, um, I mean, I haven't, I've also been, you know, to one other in Thailand. But mm-hmm. I, I think what was kind of cool to me is exactly how you described it, right? Like you would think about the conditions differently, but mm-hmm. also it was, it was like there was a really cool sense of pride. Yeah. In what they're doing because they're working for a company that's treating them well and like Absolutely. they're they're doing they people are aware of their skill like Absolutely. it is a it's cool. Um, so in, in regards to Umqua, like going forward, are you, I mean, that projection period that we were talking about, yeah, like, yeah. is it, well, how about this? You, if you had to guess mm-hmm. how long, how sticky this kind of boom. Boy. Yeah. That, that's a great question. And if you know the, or if you yeah. or anyone else knows the answer, I would love to, uh, I'd love to have some conversations with you. Uh, that's the million dollar question for, you know, in, in, in our industry and in sure. our business is like, Oh, we've had an influx of new anglers, right. And over the last couple of years, uh, 
you know, and, and obviously as an industry, we're going to try and retain the highest percentage of those we can on the business side of it. We could go down the whole controversy yeah. of whether there's too many people or not or what. Sure. You know, but as a business, we would like to retain uh, people in our sport and grow our sport. Uh, we've had a big bump. Um, you can look at national you know, data on fishing licenses. It, the data is not quite clear yet, but like how how long is this going to last is really yeah. the question. Um, I don't know. Would you, would you, I mean, I guess if I, I'll put myself on the spot. Yeah. So if I had to guess, right, I'd give it a couple more years. I would get, I think that's right. I think what's going to happen, you know, for a two year period, little Johnny didn't go to soccer practice or, yeah. you know, you've seen the, the, you live here in, in Jackson, the tourism has, has boomed. And, you know, at some point people are going to go back to more normal life, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I would think. And hopefully some people have realized like, wow, the outdoors is amazing. Like we're, you know, this is going to become part of our life. I think naturally our, our communities are going to go back to more normal right yeah and and with that well you know they there was a certain percentage of people when they i guess there's a certain percentage of people when they start fly fishing they try it a little bit and then they sticks or it doesn't yeah. right just like any sport right or or any activity people try it and certain percentage stay and do it i don't know what that percentage is naturally for fly fishing but i would assume that if we got a big you know call it a 30 percent bump in anglers or whatever it is we're going to keep a certain percentage of that. yeah I would say that you're right. I would say over the next uh, two years, it's going to start to kind of uh, pull back a little bit from this big bump. I don't think it's here to stay. Yeah. Sort of. it, it'll be really interesting, I think, to look back. I mean, all of it, right? <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. Whole, yeah. the whole thing um, will be interesting to look back on. But the I'll be ve- it'll be very interesting to see if it doesn't actually follow the curve of the pandemic a yeah. little bit. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's, yep. we're still there Sure. as much as we want to say we're out of it. Sure. Um, you know, I still need to fill out tons of forms to go to a different to country travel. or, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and, and there's new very, but it'll be interesting to see if, if as it declines, we lose a little bit or right. um, it's stickier than we thought because right. I'll never forget sitting in, you know, as we were in a different house, but I don't yep. know, like we're, I'm going out of business. Mm-hmm. Literally, like, you remember the day when this the, the doors were shut, is what you're saying. Absolutely. I mean, yes. I remember running cash flow. Yeah. As to when the doors would go down because we didn't qualify for any help. That's right. So um, we had it, the same situation in Upwa. You the did. Way. There was a day, but I think we called it March 24th, where uh, on the business side, checks stopped coming in. Yeah. Because though everything had stopped, people stopped. It was like. Without going into great detail, we give dating so that you can look six weeks, eight sure. weeks, 12 weeks out and say like, okay, our cash flow should be this, you know, because we've shipped product previous. There was a day where it stopped and yeah. there was about a six week period where we had a lot of business meetings on like, what is, what, where are we going with this? What's going to happen? Yeah. What, you know, what do we need to do? We have 35 employees, you know, this and that, like what. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that's why I try. I mean, yeah. that was just a, a guess before because. Sure. You know, I was sitting there saying we're going out of business, and then mm-hmm. here we are talking about the biggest boom. <laughs> that, that when you ask like what has been the biggest surprise, right? it was that shift yeah. that going from like, oh my god, is this we're a small business? You're you're you're, you're small business, you yeah. know, in fly fishing in this niche sport. Like, what's going to happen here? And I've got this many days before we, you know, we're going to run out of cash. Yeah, and then it like literally tripled or doubled down on itself. Yeah, and boomed for the next. 24 months basically. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Mm-hmm. 
It's crazy. I'm going to, uh, I got to get to these sponsors real quick. Yeah, and then yeah. we're going to, um, I'm actually going to jump into, uh, I guess we're working backwards here, but I'm going to so. j- jump into uh, Brush Creek real quick. And yeah, sure. I have some questions for you there. Of course, yeah. Uh, Permit to Think is brought to you by Off the Grid Studios. Everyone has a story to tell. Let these guys and gals tell yours, especially if the unconventional doesn't scare you. Also brought to you by Ironbound Media, a veteran-owned media company that creates, distributes, and grows podcast series for brands and organizations. Ironboundmedia.com. Also, GuidePointer. GuidePointer is a web-based software that gives your guiding service all the tools you need to manage business, any guide service, any industry. I personally helped develop this software for 20 years and would never have been able to do my job without it, period. Guide Pointer is a part of the Romeo Bravo software company. Go on over to guidepointer.com to learn more. All right, and uh, we are back. So um, Brush Creek, I, I, I realized, I mean, I have been on the outskirts of Brush Creek. Yep. I've never been there. Mm-hmm. How did you, well, I guess it's a twofold question. How did you get that gig? Yeah. And I'm presuming, and this is a guess, that that gig led you to Umqua, maybe? Sort or? of. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of a, you know, like everything. It's a longer story, but it actually involves some other people that you know, that oh, I wow. know. Cool. Uh, yeah. We have a lot of people in common. Um, the way it worked was I was, uh, you know, I was guiding here. I was guiding on the green, doing some travel to New Zealand and stuff. And then um, when I was in New Zealand one winter, my buddy Hank Wells, who you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, yes. Hank. Yeah, Hank's one of my, I would consider him one of my best friends. Yeah. Um, Hank and I, Hank called me and left me a message. And I'm in the middle of nowhere in New Zealand. And I get this message. And then I get an email and says, hey, um, I'm, I, I want to talk to you about a job. I'm like, okay. So we kind of email back and forth. And he says, I'm, I'm working at this ranch. And I was hired by my good friend, Paul Robertson. Oh, my gosh. Which now, you, yeah. you also know. Now we're going to go yeah. Jeff Barr. Okay. Uh, and he goes. Yeah. I mean, he's at Romeo Bravo. I know. Yeah. I wow. just saw him at IFTD. And oh, he was wow. telling me about it. So okay. it's this small little fly fishing world. But um, I get a call. And he had just started at a ranch uh, called the Ranch at Rock Creek. And uh, he was the activities director. And he needed like a head fishing guide and a, and a skiing guide. And, uh, you know, again, I'm in New Zealand and I'm like, Hey, I'll, I'll be back in six weeks or so. <laughs> like if, yeah. if it's still available, I'd love to talk to you about it. But he knew I had actually met up with Hank. Um, uh, he was guiding on the wind river, uh, Canyon at the time. And then we connected through Darren Calhoun uh, sure. over there. And he said, Hey, I know you both are going to be over in New Zealand. So two years prior to that, we were in New Zealand together. Yeah. So again, long story short, Hank said, come up and, uh, you know, I ended up going up and working at the ranch at rock Creek. And, um, what happened was in the middle of that summer, I guided a couple clients, uh, for the ranch and, um, and they took my information and they said, Hey, you know, uh, we'd love to talk to you again sometimes like, all right, great. You know, and, um, uh, three weeks later they said, Hey, we have this ranch we're opening up in Southern Wyoming. We'd love you to come look at it. And I was like, what? You know, you guys are just here. Yeah. It turned out they were, they were prospecting. basically prospecting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were benchmarking and going around to some of the other nicest Probably luxury. went to Three Forks as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Three Forks and a few others, Paws Up and some of these other luxury guest ranches, right? Sure. And uh, uh, they, I flew down there, ended up interviewing. And I remember them telling me, they're like, 
all right. So I'm like, where's the ranch? And I hadn't spent a lot of time down in Saratoga, Wyoming. And I'm like, where is it exactly? And they're like, well, you, you know where Rollins is? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're just, we're just south of Rollins. And I'm like, Rollins. And I'm thinking I've driving, yeah. driven through there a bunch. Like, you're, you're thinking I-80. Sinclair, like, oh, Rollins. And I'm like, what are you talking yeah. about? Like I'm up outside of Missoula on Rock Creek. And uh, long story short, uh, they, they had started a guest ranch down there. There was a previous guest ranch, Brush Creek Ranch, previous. It was a, it was a small dude ranch more. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got bought by uh, White Lodging, by Bruce White, the owner of White Lodging. And, and it turned out that he had a very large you know, hospitality company. And he had bought Brush Creek Ranch and wanted to start bringing guests there is how I ended up there. So they were looking to fulfill the hospitality side of things and the activities side of things. And when I started there, there was about 15 employees. I'd say 10 to 12 of them were ranch employees running sure. cattle and, and building roads. And they were, it was really, it, infancy is not even, doesn't even describe it. It was nothing at that point. They had just finished building a main lodge and Bruce had finished building a house on the property. You and, know? And, and not to interrupt you, but what year is this? 20. Oh, I should know this. Um, so roughly. Roughly. 2009, um, 8. Yeah, more like 2011, okay. 12. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, no. Boy. No, yeah. You're, I think you're actually more right. 2010. Right okay. around there. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, uh, you know, I go there and, and start and then and we started having guests for the first time that summer and I was I was running the activities program and that was, uh, you know, we had fly fishing, horseback riding, shooting, all these different, at the time, five to 10 different activities. It has now changed into this big, big, big operation uh, with almost 250 employees. And wow. I think it's like 50,000 plus acres, multiple different ranches on it. Um, it's an unbelievable property and, and, and operation, you know, yeah. um, it's a luxury guest ranching experience. You know, it's, um, I describe it to friends and family as like the four seasons of, uh, you know, of outdoor yeah, yeah. dude ranching, yeah. but like at a force, you know, sure. Uh, master chefs and they, they have some crazy 50,000, hundred thousand square foot greenhouse in the middle of Saratoga. Why? Yeah. Know? I was going to ask this. Was one of my questions was because yeah. I looked at it. Was the farm there when you were no. there? No. Okay. Cause that looks like, I mean, that looks about as impressive in the it's, food world. I believe that they're recruiting like Michelin star level yeah. chefs. And I have some good friends that still work there. Uh, my previous bosses still work there. It's a, but it has grown to like a, a size or, or even a, class that i never even understood yeah. when i was there it was it was unbelievable and it was growing every year and we were developing these programs and and setting it all up and when i left there was about 90 employees seasonally you know and, and there were about 20 of us year round and um yeah it was it was incredible i ended up going i kind of hit a point where like my next steps were probably more in hospitality rather and i wanted to go more back towards more fly fishing yeah. you know and with my career I got to a point where I was mostly, you know, managing seasonal employees and hiring and recruiting and, and um, I really enjoyed it, but I, next steps in my career were probably definitely more towards the hospitality side and yep. I wanted to really dive further into the fly fishing business side. That makes sense. I also was spending year round in a town of, you know, 200 in winters, yeah. season. you know, summer was busy and all this, but I was in my early thirties and starting to, the realities of living in a really remote part of Wyoming year round were yeah. starting to weigh on me. Starting to sink in a little bit. They were. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, cause you know, it's as someone that was behind, you know, pulling the curtains on a very large, sorry, pulling the strings behind the curtains yeah. on a very large guide staff. It was, mm-hmm. it was always very interesting to me to watch adjustments. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had, 
people in different industries, teaching, um, et cetera, people from different countries. And so, yeah. you know, one thing I thought about when I was writing down some questions for you was like, wow, what an adjustment, like your time in New Zealand. Sure. I mean, driving around, fishing some of the best places in the world, probably yeah. with some buddies or by yourself. Yep. Yep. And then, um, guiding, mm-hmm. but when you drop the clients off, that day's over. That's right. And yep. so to to go into, you know, Brush Creek where you're describing, yeah, um, had to be a quite a, quite the adjustment. I mean, it, it was a big life adjustment because I was kind of I remember leaving kind of guiding and being like I had a storage unit here in Jackson. Seasonally, I would move things in and out of it. And yeah. I'd be running around <laughs> trying to figure out housing and all the crazy stuff you do as a traveling fishing guide, basically. And um, and then I wanted, you know, I I, want, I needed like a more consistent job. I and, and I got into this the guest ranching side of things, you know. But guest ranching's interesting. Where like for during your season, call it April or May through September, October, it's six seven days a week, all hands on deck. Yeah. The opposite side of that in the winter time, they would give me the flexibility to travel around and, um, you know, basically I spent some time at some fly shops in Denver. I spent some time, I spent six weeks in Mexico, just fishing around. Like I, yeah. uh, in Belize out on Glover's Atoll and stuff for a few weeks, just kind of like going to do some adventurous stuff. But then I'd go back to my, you know, uh, you know, seasonal, I was a year round position, but they, we had this, it was so busy in the summer that they would give you this bulk of time, you know, to yeah. kind of go spend your, you, you want to get weekends during the summer, but you get it in the winter, you know, fall and winter time. Sure. You know? Um, so yeah, it was a big life adjustment. And then moving from that again in rural Wyoming, Saratoga encampment, Wyoming, these are towns of 50, a couple yeah. hundred, you know, and they're true ranching communities, um, which I grew up in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire. I, I, you know, uh, it's just funny The my friends that know me are like, where are you and what you're living in? It's very different part of Wyoming, you know, sure. um, it's more true Wyoming yeah. down there. I think yeah. the parts of Wyoming that don't recognize this part of Wyoming. That's correct. Yeah. 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 No, that, this, that's Jackson. Yeah. And that, this it's, is Wyoming. It's not part of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then, and then transitioning into, um, I basically moved to Denver and started, uh, you know, I started networking with a couple friends in the industry, uh, Riley Cotter and a few others, and said, I'm, I'm interested in getting in the manufacturing side or the next business steps in fly fishing. And turned out they were like, hey, you should you should come talk to us down here. Like, we're, we're down here in Denver. Just come talk, you know, come have lunch with us. And all of a sudden, like three, four weeks later, um, you know, they found a position and, and, and it worked out. That's awesome. Yeah, but it's been an interesting ride down there that, you know, I, I didn't know a lot about fly production and... Uh, yeah, I kind of didn't have had different roles there. Because um, you were the Rocky Mountain sales manager before the national, right? Yeah, and yeah. even before that, I was the Southern Rockies sales rep. Oh wow! So, yeah, That's we right. at, at Umco we have internal reps and we have um, we have uh, independent reps. You know, and at the time, I was the first internal sales rep that we had had. We had a uh, without going too deep into the repping world of fly fishing. Um, we we basically in our largest territories now we have a. Uh, internal sales reps who just cover umqua they don't have a portfolio of brands mm-hmm. um our business in those states are big enough to to you know that it makes sense you know yeah, and absolutely. uh i was the first internal sales rep and then eventually started managing reps up here in the northern rockies and in, uh, in california as well and then eventually uh in you know managing both independent and internal reps yeah yeah and um i'm making a, a larger jump here mm-hmm. but so from um, 
the University of New Hampshire ski racing. Yeah. How did you, because everything you do seems to be quick, which is amazing. Because I mean, I think anyone listening to this is going to see why. Sure. Um, how did you get the job right away at Jack Dennis? Yeah, uh, that's, a good, that's a funny question too. So I ski raced in college and uh, I was actually a Nordic ski racer. Um, but I always, I had downhill skied in you know high school, but um, get, basically I, like I got skate it. skiing? Yeah, or? skate skiing wow. and classic skiing. And it's, sports have always been, I was really athletic as a kid and really into sports. And, you know, the way that turned out, the way I got into that was um, my dad in middle school, I, I I didn't make our basketball team. And he's like, you need to get in shape. So I started running with my dad. This is like in seventh or eighth grade. That's awesome. And and uh, he's like, we, we need to run. And I remember as a kid being like, I don't want to run. Like, I want to play basketball. And he's like, you need to, we, we need, if you get in shape, you will make this team. And I went to a bigger high school. We had, when I tried out for our basketball team my freshman year, there were like 95 kids there. And uh, I had run cross country previous to that. And uh, in, in cross country running, you know, uh, I kind of, I learned this lesson that now I can reflect back on and it, it makes a lot of sense. But like I, I started running and I was slow and this and that. And then in two weeks after training, uh, all of a sudden I got a little quicker. There was a, we did a race and there was a time and it was yeah. like, wow, I got faster. And then by the end of that season, after a few months, I was running relatively fast, you know, and, and kind of moved my way up quickly. But the harder I worked, the more I practiced and ran, it turned out the faster you, you, you race. Yeah. And that stupid little lesson in my head. And it didn't happen overnight. No, yeah. no. And it took effort. You know what I mean? You yeah. really had to, I committed to it. And that, but it was all in just to basically make this, I wanted to make our basketball team. You yeah, know? exactly. Well, it turned out I, I, I got to our tryouts and I, it was nice. Gym was packed and big lists of kids and stuff. And I wasn't a great basketball player. I was like six foot and like 150 pounds or something. You know, I was a mm-hmm. freshman in high school. I was, I'd grown tall, but I wasn't very coordinated. But I ran. Yeah. <laughs> I figured the only thing I could do here is just bust my ass as hard as I could. I made the basketball team. There was like 13 of us. And uh, I played about like uh, 61 seconds that year, the whole season. <laughs> yeah, I sat on the bench the whole year. I don't remember my coach's name, but for a long time, I really didn't. I didn't like that guy. And uh, that spring, I was like, I, I had played bas- uh, baseball a lot. And uh, I was like, I should, I'm going to play baseball. And my running coach was like, you need to run track. And I'm like, ah. and he's like, listen, like you, you ran well, like run track. And yeah. I did. And uh the harder I worked, the faster I got. And I ended up setting some silly, you know, high school freshman records and stuff, uh, you know, in running. And uh, that started me into like this whole, you know, individual sport kind of like if I work hard, you can't, there are, you can see results. You yeah. know, I ended up getting into Nordic skiing because it aligned with running. I quit basketball the next season. Yeah. And I, I had done some Nordic skiing and again, got a friend to convince me like, you should do this. And that was a big, strong at that point, starting to grow a little bit. And uh, um, you've got runners and ski- Nordic skiers, uh, different profiles, but in Nordic skiing, there's some strength component to it, you know? And mm-hmm. I ended up uh, skiing uh, junior Olympic type stuff. And then I went on to ski at the University of New Hampshire, but it's a division one, you know, it's a top 10 yeah. Nordic program. And uh, I was good in New Hampshire and I was good and okay in New England. But like, I remember that fall going and meeting the other guys on the team. And one of them had won like he was the national champion in the mile, mm-hmm. the national champion. Wow! You know, and I had, I thought I was a pretty good runner, <laughs> and this guy was like like Olympic level quality. He still runs, 
you know, uh, at, a, at a very, very high level to this day, you know, 20 yeah. years later. I, I met all these kids that like had skied in Europe and this and that and gone to ski academies and like, I was from Manchester, New Hampshire, was, <laughs> thought I was pretty good. And uh, I got set in place real yeah. quick. I was able to ski through college, but like it took a, an immense amount of work. And I, I eventually, I was skiing with a few kids that went on to the Olympics and stuff. And I, I was, I found myself eventually, my work ethic could only take me so far. You know what I mean? Like I, it was such a great learning experience, but like yeah. there, there were, there was another class of athlete there, you know, and, and kids that had skied their whole life growing up and the talent level was a little higher And you know, but I learned this lesson that like I could train with them and in the physical part of it, I could put in the work and I could get to a certain level and then I would be able to race. But there was just this uh, talent level that I wasn't able, I wasn't gifted for that. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of approached that level where like, some of those gifted athletes with some really uh, strong work work ethics became, you know, again, Olympic level. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, but it, it was... Um, so after skiing in college, I wanted to alpine ski. I wanted, yeah. I wanted to downhill ski. And I, I'm like, I'm going to move somewhere. And where else? You know, yeah. Jackson, Wyoming. I literally graduated. And four days later, I spent, I spent Christmas with my family and I bolted. I did the four and a half year plan. You know, yeah, perfect. And I uh, drove straight to Jackson, Wyoming, and stayed actually right down the road here at a buddy's apartment. And I knew of Jack Dennis. I had started doing um, some guiding out in New York on the Delaware River. Okay. Um, for Al. Yeah, for Al Cucci. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Have you read his books? I haven't. I need Hatches. To. Yeah. Um, I two summers before that, I had come out to Yellowstone and trained uh, for the summer. I got a summer job doing housekeeping in Yellowstone Nice during college. Yeah. I, and uh, I came out and trained all summer and I'd, so I'd spent some time in Jackson. And cool. I was like, I want to move here afterwards. And I remember I was fishing a fair bit, but I was a hack. And I, you know, I loved fishing since I was a little, little kid, but I was training real seriously for skiing. And I remember fishing in the afternoons, evenings out, you know, in, in kind of the West Yellowstone area. I was based at Lake Hotel, but I was fishing, you know, out out there. And I remember going into the fly shops. Then were open till like nine at night. They were open till after dark, which they should be. They should be right, because I would fish right up till dark, and then I would go get flies and stuff at these fly shops or try and understand where the you know get some information and stuff. And I remember walking up to one of these fly shops, and there were two guys standing next to their car in a drift boat, and they were like. You know, they were drinking beer, saying, you know, and I said, hey, how's it going? You know, and I didn't know anybody. And I'm like, you you guys row those? You know, you fishing those? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, are you guides? And they're like, yeah. yeah. Like, so wait a second. You row those down the river and yeah. people, you get paid to do that? And they're like, oh my God. Yeah, I was like 19 years old. Like, yeah. And like, okay, how's this work? And they, they talked to me and, you know, they kind of told me like. Must have been a decent day on the water. <laughs> I think they had a decent day on the water. Yeah. They kind of walked me through it. Like, the, you know, what I didn't know that these, you know, I had seen drift boat fishing and seen videos of it, but I, I never met anybody that was a fishing guy. Again, yeah. I grew up in New Hampshire. Sure. So after leaving, then I was like, huh, I want to figure this out. Like, how do I, I don't know. That sounds interesting. I ended up finding an internship, uh, you know, um, on the Delaware River. And out in the Northeast, there's not a lot of rivers you can float. Yeah. I wanted to learn to row a drift boat. That's and cool. I was, I interviewed a couple places in the Rockies over the phone. I'm in college. And then, uh, and then eventually um, I found an internship with Al Cucci, uh, Delaware River Club. And, um, uh, you know, they have a wild trout fishery. 
uh, classic dry fly only fishing, you know, to rising fish. And again, I didn't know a lot, but I knew I wanted to learn a road drift boat and they paid me like nothing. You know, they paid <laughs> me, they put me up and they gave me a little bit of money for food and said, sure, if you want to come learn, have at it. Yeah. So then I started rowing a drift boat every second I could mornings and evenings, like uh, casting like crazy. Like I, I had to learn this, you know what yeah. I mean? I, I like my personality. I just dove deep, deep, deep. And sure. Ended up buying a drift boat the next season and doing a little guiding and then found my way to, to Jackson for skiing, actually. But I knew of Jack Dennis. So yeah. I literally walked into the shop and was like, oh, I'm Josh Graffham. Like, I want to want a guide for you guys. And yeah. They kind of like laughed. Well, who? What? Like, we don't just. You, yeah. Sure. Like, whatever. I met Courier at the yeah. time. And he's like, well, if you really want to do this, you're going to need to work in the shop for a season. I was like, I, I okay, sure. But like, I want a guide. I got to I even I have a boat. Like, I could do this. And. No, 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 no. You, you don't yeah. work in the shop. So I did. I spent my first summer working with Courier and the, and the guys in the shop. And, and uh, who else was there at that time? Man, Andy Asadorian was there. Ace. Yeah, Ace. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Meeks, if you remember Micah Kruger, I think his last name. I don't know if I Meeks. I got, okay. Micah and Andy, they were good friends. Yeah. Um, who else was there that you would know? Uh, Sanchez. Yeah, you know, still, still there. there. Yeah, uh-huh. that's awesome. Yeah, there's a there's a whole crew of guys and, and a bunch of fishing guides that. You know, I, yeah, not to mention all the guys. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, what a cool right. They were awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing staff and and friends, and um, they you know I I started rowing a lot around here trying to understand the water because I knew I needed to learn this before they would let me guide. I thought at the time like you just let me guide, you know, like yeah, let me go. I can do this, you know. And I had a lot to learn, you know. I had. Uh, the kind of fishing that we had out east, classic dry fly fishing, um, slow water, you know, looking for rising fish, anchoring on that. I just assumed that that all translated out yeah. here. And uh, I quickly... Fast forward to huge flies and oh fast my God. water. Snake in, in June yeah. and early July and like yeah. trying to... I had so much to learn. I thought I knew so much and I had so much to learn, you know. Yeah. Eventually they let me guide and um, yeah, I did that for... Uh, seven seasons and uh, for Jack Dennis and um, met some amazing, you know, other, other guides and friends and mentors and they helped me along. You know, yeah. And sure. it's, um, you know, so in just talking to you and hearing your story, like one, one thing, and, I, and I'm trying, I can't remember the book that I've read this in, but it was like, pay, pay attention. The, the, the gist of it was pay attention to the things that you set out to do mm-hmm. um, that are extremely daunting Mm-hmm. at the time mm-hmm. but if you really pay attention to those and then watch what happens mm-hmm. they all happen mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's amazing like your story yeah. i mean it's like you know like you said like I'm, i i want to do this yeah. but at that moment right it's a massive obstacle absolutely but it panned out i remember I mean, that feeling of that massive obstacle yeah i felt like i could do it i felt like maybe this is possible but like what kinds of it's so it, and again in hindsight looking back it's like you start breaking it down i need to learn this i need to learn this i need to learn this yeah. you know one but step conscious effort you know and paying attention yeah and then uh my boss has a really funny quote and uh it sticks with me and he's gonna laugh if he were to hear this but he the <laughs> quote is um m- most people fail to see opportunity because it looks like overalls and it smells like work yeah <laughs> And it's funny. I mean, it's yeah, like, no, it's, it's there. I mean, you can, yeah, we can do whatever you can do, whatever you want. Yeah. I was from New Hampshire and didn't have any business rowing a drift boat. And eventually 
realized I wanted to do this and just started chipping away at it. But every single day, yeah. not like not like I want to do it and yeah, yeah. you just and start. It's, it's still fresh for me, but like mm-hmm. it's funny how it all ties together, right? I'm mm-hmm. driving over the pass. I was like mm-hmm. commuting from here to Idaho. Yep, and I was like. I knew I was going to make a life change. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was like, how the hell am I going to do that? Where do I even you start? Yeah. And then here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and when you and I were sat down and had that dinner together, yeah. um, you know, thank you for the hooks, by the way. Oh, that of course. Was, I mean, that yeah, was yeah. like the, the prep part of this what whole Mike's thing. What Mike's not telling you is it took a year for me to get him a <laughs> set of hooks that I was really hoping to get in his hands a couple weeks Well, after. I also didn't. I took me a long time to follow. You, were, you right. said follow up with me. So. Yeah, no, no. Um, but, and I think at the, at the time of that dinner, I was mm-hmm. like, I spent months on the logo for this podcast. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I am going nowhere. But mm-hmm. again, here we are. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, that, that seemed, I mean, I've taken a ton of your time. And um, it seems like a good, you know, I'd love to have you back on here. Sure, I mean, there's, yeah. to be honest, we could do this. We could for, go a lot of directions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you and I. Um, you know, but it, it doesn't, I think the interview will, you know, what you've done, the, you know, how quickly you've done it, well, the amount of stuff you've done is remarkable and it's impressive and I have a ton of respect for it. Um, so thank you. Thanks. Thanks for your time. That means a lot coming from you. And, and, you know, honestly, uh, so much of it has to do with, I think just having good people around you and good people find good people and people that, you know, um, a lot of people have really helped me along the ways and they realize, Hey, somebody's willing to work hard and they, they're interested in this. Uh, here's a little, here's a little bit. And then they, wow, yeah. you want to do more? Go ahead, do yeah. go for it. And it's just funny how that works out. And then eventually you end up in the position like yourself or like myself where I can now start to give other people opportunities too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. It's funny how the world works that way, but real quickly, let's, um, let's talk about Cameron real quick Yeah. and his, uh, his performance. How, how would you, uh, I mean, is, is, could you give him any constructive, uh, criticism? Yeah. I think, you know, when I first showed up here, he, uh, (laughs) he definitely had, I, I I figured he's been a long-term employee of this podcast, but, uh, no, he's, he's done a great job. Uh, and Cameron real quick before we, uh, we sign off. I mean, how, how was your debut? How'd it go? Because uh, we can't even see you, but uh, right. I, Josh can. I cannot. Mm-hmm. It was good. It was fun. I liked it. <laughs> a lot, I have a lot to learn about fly fishing. I'll say that. Oh, you're going to probably hear a lot about this fly fishing yeah. stuff. And the funny thing is, Maybe. Cameron probably knows, literally, like when we sat down, mm-hmm. and he knows, he's like, well, you know about this, about podcasting. I was like, I have no idea what you're uh-huh. talking about. <laughs> so I just listened to a lot of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a lot to teach me, but, um, well, Josh, thanks again, man. I, I, yeah. uh, I really appreciate it. It was great. Um, I really enjoyed it. So for people to find more information about you, head on over to umqua.com. Yeah, definitely. Umqua.com. Instagram. Yeah. I'm on Instagram a little bit, uh, Facebook, all that social media. They, it's, I think it's under my actual name. So Josh Grafham. Yeah. Um, you can find me there. Uh, Instagram yeah. is Josh. Graf- Josh. Yeah. Grafham. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Anywhere else? Um, no, I don't think I have profiles anywhere else. I have a Facebook profile and stuff, but yeah, people can find me. It's probably easiest on social media, and cool. uh, feel free to send me a message about anything, or yeah, or, or at Umqua too. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, Umqua.com, or I have a you know an email. I'll just just uh, get a yeah. hold of Umqua if anyone's interested in any uh, any, any products. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of hook, great hooks to look at yeah. right here. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Permit to Think. My hope is this podcast offers meaningful conversations and stories from the fringe of societal norms. Be sure to subscribe and support the uh, podcast. Leave a review, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're using. Um, For more information, head on over to the website, permittothink.com. We'll get get Cameron up there soon. Um, and please forward this along to anyone who might dig it. I am out.